You're listening to the Rick Soto Podcast. For more information about Pastor Rick Soto and the Ranch Church, go to ranchchurch.com. The title of this message is called Release the Holy Spirit. And I'm just going to pray and we're going to get after things. So Lord Jesus, please come. We desire in our hearts to honor you. First and foremost, we desire to follow you with our hearts. We desire to be your church. Please help us, guide us, show us all things, and show us your glory. We would pray that we would be changed and transformed in the image of yourself. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Ever say amen. amen. Okay, release the Holy Spirit. Hey, I got to take a little bit of an introduction to kind of get there, so I want you guys to hang out for a few moments with me. So listen, for the last few weeks, we've been in Romans chapter 12. We've been camping in verses 1 and 2, which says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We took a few weeks to do just one verse, which is very unlike us here. And then we did a few weeks to do the second verse. And the subject matter that we were unpacking was related to anxiety. Now, we chose anxiety because it just seems like that's where our culture's at. So many of us, constant conversations, praying uh, in groups, pastor, I'm stressed out, or, or people getting together, hey, we're just really anxious about this, and, and uh, uh, you know, I won't even go to all those details. It's somewhat related to our humanity and also related to our faith. And so I just camped there. One of my concerns as a pastor in my church and preaching the gospel and being faithful to God is that we would, we would maybe be deceived and thinking that the transformation starts with us in terms of our own effort, our own self-effort, that we would not understand the supernatural nature of the transformation that's uh, necessary. And so I want to go into a series of verses, John chapter 20, to start uh, to talk about releasing the Holy Spirit. And so secondly, by way of introduction into the text, I want to sort of mention it this way. So I want you to think about what we're about to read here is right after the resurrection, and Jesus is going to come to the disciples, is going to say, you know, receive the Holy Spirit. He's going to breathe on them. But this is right after the resurrection. So I want you to think about what happens right after someone's very excited. So, for example, as a pastor, I have the joy of doing weddings. And so very frequently after the weddings, you know, the, the couples will be looking at me now, and I tend to tease them. Sometimes I'll delay this, and they'll look at me. And I've even had the guy or the gal say, can I kiss her? Can I kiss them now? You know, and so they're, they're married. We've done all their things. You know, you can kiss the bride. We pronounce them. And then afterwards, we have wonderful celebrations. And we're dancing, or we're hugging, and we're just you know, high-fiving one another. In other words, we're so enthusiastic because we've just had this wonderful event. This couple has come and gotten married. So Jesus died on the cross. Everybody should say yes. yes. They say he dies on the cross. He dies on the cross for our sins. He is the Paschal Lamb, the last Passover Lamb. He's fulfilling all the prophecies. There's all these signposts in the Old Testament to let us know that the Messiah must actually go to the cross, be crucified, resurrected on the third day. So now it's happened. He's crucified. He's resurrected on the third day. What is, what, what is, what is he going to do? What is Jesus excited to go do after he's resurrected? Well, I want to go see my friends. I'm going to go see people I love. I want them to know, I'm alive. You know that cross? 
It didn't really kill me. I mean, it killed me. That's how I got to shed blood. But, you know, but, but I, I'm, I'm here. I, I'm here, and I've paid for your sins. And, and I'm so excited to be with you. And, and, and now, now I have a gift for you that I tried to tell you about beforehand. You didn't understand it. And so I'm going to release to you the Holy Spirit. That's the first thing. After Jesus is resurrected from the dead. And so in John's gospel, chapter 20, verse 19, here's, here's, here's how it goes. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, that is Sunday, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and among them and said to them, peace be with you. Now that's just a great phrase because, well, they're going to be a little freaked out. You know, they're, they're, we just watched you die and we're very sobered by that. And we're very sobered by all the things that have taken place here. And there's even Peter's denial, which has taken place and not yet been reconciled. And so he says, peace be with you. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. In other words, they might be overwhelmed. And so, no, it really is me. Here's, here's my hands. Here's my sides. It really is me. I'm your Savior. I love you. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so, I'm sending you. So this is so fascinating. He's, he's literally just resurrected from the dead, and he wants to go talk to his friends. He wants to go talk to those that he loves, and he has a mission for them. He says, I, I now, I actually need to, need to you know, release you to tell others about me. You see me, you'll know me, and I'm going to show you how that's going to come about. As the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. So I want you to internalize, church, the divine nature of that. As God the Father divinely willed that the Son would enter our human race and be sent out, so in the same way Jesus says, so I as God am divinely working in you to send you. It's as profound a statement as it comes. Now, here, here's what's so interesting. So when he said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. So as we, as we go into this teaching about releasing the Holy Spirit, we're going to see that there's these interesting movements of the Holy Spirit where the Holy Spirit comes into our lives to seal us unto salvation, and yet there is other movements in our lives where the Holy Spirit wants to baptize and fill. And so he says, receive the Holy Spirit. I need you to understand this, church. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. That is related, as I understand this verse, to the preaching of the gospel, where we preach the forgiveness of sins. The greatest news you could ever receive is that Jesus Christ has come to actually forgive you of your sins. And one of the greatest ministries you could ever have is to minister to another person so they would actually receive Christ and understand the cleansing and the supernatural power of the cross to cleanse them from all sin. 
Now, what's interesting, if you know some of your Bible, and if you don't, just stick with me. I'll try and go very methodically through this. But right here, what I'm telling you is that as I understand this text, these people became Christians, true followers of Jesus, and yet it's not Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 is going to become this other event called Pentecost, where a real supernatural power is going to come upon them to fulfill the very things that Jesus is talking about. I want to give you three ways of understanding a few statements related to this. I want you to, I don't have a screen here. Someday maybe we'll have this and maybe it's useful, maybe it's not, uh, but we'll just keep going. So there's a Greek word. These are three Greek prepositions. So one is called para, P-A-R-A. And uh, I won't make you shout it back to me or anything like that. But that is the idea of the Holy Spirit being with or alongside us. That's found in John chapter 16. So by way of just emphasis, John chapter 16, you don't need to go there right now, write it down, tap it into a digital device, or remember it. That simply means that the Holy Spirit is going to be with us or alongside us. And I'll read 1 Corinthians chapter 6 in a moment, as well as Acts chapter 1. But this is the idea that the Holy Spirit is alongside us. Now listen, when you read John 16, here's what's interesting about that. It says that the Holy Spirit will actually come alongside us and is going to come alongside us. And guess what the Holy Spirit's going to first be doing? This is going to make you feel a bit uncomfortable. He's going to convict you. Yeah, that's when everyone says, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. <laughs> that's, that's where he goes, oh yeah, he's going to convict us. Of sin, righteousness, and judgment, the teaching is. So sometimes our first experience is the Holy Spirit is coming alongside us and sort of tapping us on the side, sometimes knocking us out on the side and saying, hey, sin, righteousness, and judgment, God has better. This whole world, God has better than this world. Your plans for your own life, God has better than your best plan for your life. Sin, righteousness, and judgment. He's whacking you on the side saying, come into the kingdom of God. Come into the will of God. God has blessings for you. God has better for you. But when the Holy Spirit comes alongside you as a believer, he is holding you. That is that with feeling. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I just have to read this at length. So I have two passages that I'm going to read at length, and then I will uh, just kind of reference a few other things as we understand the release of the Holy Spirit as I make a few applications. So we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and we'll pick it up in verse 12. Now, I do want you to understand the context of all of this, uh, because he's going to be talking about morality. So for beginning, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12 says, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. That is a way of saying that believers begin to supernaturally have the ability to say yes to good things and no to bad things. So for all of you, I would wish for you the ability to be able to say yes to good things and no to bad things every day. Say yes to good things and no to bad things. And so that is an example of this. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and stomach for food, and God will destroy both and one another. In other words, they're both going to come to an end. Now he's going to illustrate this. The body is not meant for sexual morality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. 
And God raised the Lord and will also raise us by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I take then the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. That never is meganoital, like really big, really big, absolutely never. No, don't do that. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one in body with her? For it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one in spirit with them. So that is the whole principle. Paul has been waking up that we would be one, 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 just united with God in this way. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits outside the body, but the sexually immoral person commits sins against the body. Now to the point, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You are not your own. You were bought with the price, so glorify God with your body. You all should say amen to that. <laughs> this text is saying that our bodies are a temple, and that temple belongs to God. And inside this phrase, the Holy Spirit within you, that is this interesting Greek preposition, the original text, and it actually sounds similar in English. It's E-N in the original text. It's I-N in English. It's the idea that when we are now saved, the Holy Spirit is in us. So in other words, I'm taking some time to talk about releasing the Holy Spirit so that you understand that the Holy Spirit is going to move. The Holy Spirit is going to work. If you're not a believer, he's working one way. If, he's a, if you're a believer, he's working another way. And this is the idea that our bodies are actually the temple of the Holy Spirit and he is within us. So here's partly why I mentioned this. I got to tell you about this. This is like, I know you guys don't even know what this is. You're like, Pastor Rick, what is this? I guess the college pastor in me never left. So yesterday, our good friend Chris Hume uh, had a foraging day. James Wellman and him put together a foraging day. I don't even know how to spell foraging. Uh, but what this was, was a nasty piece of metal. And, and Chris actually had, uh, through a propane tank, an oven heated to 3,000 degrees. And so the metal goes in, into the oven for 3,000 degrees, and then he takes it and he puts it on like a 100 or 200-pound anvil, and he gives the guys a hammer, and he says, okay, hit it. Okay, well, none of us have skills on doing this, so some of us go, okay, dink. He goes, no, you got to hit it. And so then one of us goes, dink. And then, he, of course, he's experiencing this thing. And so then he just goes, whoa. He goes, that's what it's like to hit it. We go, oh, you can hit it like that? So then all the guys are around, right? Then he puts it back in the oven. Then he comes back out. And we go, oh, we can really hit this thing. And then there's almost like this, you know, testosterone bloodlust. Oh, we can put the hammers up. And we can just hit this thing and hit this thing. And we actually, you know, flattened it. And then he went home and made this. And so now there's all the scar marks here of all the guys that actually hammered this thing out to be this kind of tool. And then he just polished it here. And, you know, normally the process takes much, much longer to get much prettier, but it actually works. Here is, here is, here is obviously a weapon, and you want to be careful with that. <laughs> so the Holy Spirit inside the body... operates a bit like a forger. Like that forging process. The Holy Spirit is going to warm you up and heat you up so that 
God can present you to himself much more moldable, much more flexible. He's going to shape you and put you in places that look much more like Christ so that you'll actually be of greater use to him, so that you'll actually have greater strength inside of you, so that you'll actually have greater experiences of love. But he will take life and he'll actually bend things inside you. And I guarantee you this, this is why I'm taking time to tell you this, because so many people stumble over this. You would not choose that for yourself. In other words, I would raise my hand and say, God, here's how I want you to change my life. Here's how I want you to change my life. And it would be all the comforts of the world. Amen? Give me big muscles, great fitness, perfect health, the thicker back account. I do like that car. That would be great. And praise from people would be absolutely wonderful. Those are all the comforts from life. And the Holy Spirit says... I love you. And what's fascinating about Chris Hume is he had these, he had these tongs and these real long tongs and then, he, and then he grabs the cooler portion of this metal but it's still hot and then he puts it up and he puts it in the oven and then you just hear saying, So sometimes the Holy Spirit grabs you and puts you in a hot oven to soften you and soften you because you have to actually be remolded and reshaped for your absolute own good. Because if you stay the way you are, it's an old preaching phrase. Check yourself before you wreck yourself, and the truth is you're going to wreck yourself. It's way beyond morality. It includes some of that. It includes to actually being sanctified and having Christ himself come and do great and mighty and wonderful things. I'm going to give you the reference. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. This is Jesus talking. You receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon me. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem locally, you know, Judea, uh, the uttermost parts of the uttermost parts of the earth. I'm referencing Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Now, what's fascinating about that is that Jesus is saying, he's already breathed on them. They have the Holy Spirit. He says, you have to wait for the promise of the Father that's going to be Pentecost, and it's going to come to you, and there's going to be a totally different power that's going to come inside you that's going to be absolutely necessary for you to do this. And this is the word epi. In terms of a preposition, it's e. P-I, that's a Greek preposition, and the English word is upon. Or I like, actually, uh, how Pastor Chuck uh, says it and a number of others, that they call this the overflow. And so this is an overflow experience where, where God comes and he begins to nurture things inside you, and he's actually overflowing your life with tremendous, tremendous power from on high that you're absolutely going to need. The Christian does not live their life through self-effort. That's one of the greatest challenges to communicate to somebody. We live our lives trusting God, asking God to actually empower our physical bodies, empower our soul and our spirits to actually divinely animate us that we would be people that would reflect him. And that requires supernatural power. But the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Is exactly what that phrase 
is actually saying and meaning exactly that. And after Jesus says that in Acts chapter 1, and I have such mercy when I see the early church and the disciples, remember, he's been telling them for a while, I have to go, I have to go, I have to go. And then he goes to the cross, and then he's back. He's like, you're back. That's great. You're back. That's amazing. What does it mean? We don't know what it means. Oh, okay. And they're not asking many questions. They're so overwhelmed by it. Then a period of time goes by, and Jesus says, okay, now it's going to be time for me to go. What do you mean you have to go? Yeah, I have to go. It's going to be better for the Holy Spirit to be sent upon you. It is? I don't really understand that. And so literally he says the word that I gave you in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And then he actually, we call it the ascension, he actually ascends into heaven. And everybody is so really not knowing what to do with this experience. So there's angels there that say, hey, you know what? There's going to come a day you're going to come very similar like that and for you guys to get going. And Pentecost Sunday or Pentecost would actually happen uh, not far after that. So there are secondary experiences and third level experiences and many other experiences that happen in the life of the believer. And that's what Jesus is pointing out. The last illustration I'll give you is actually by way of reference from Acts chapter 9, the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul has a fascinating experience. He gets saved and he's blind. He actually experiences salvation. Acts chapter 9, he's blind. And so he's got to be led around. He has to be led around. And he has to go a little bit of time later to a different physical location where he actually receives this baptism of the Holy Spirit and this great power comes upon him and becomes Apostle Paul. So my friends, God has great blessings for you. So for example, some theologians like to call part of what I'm describing doctrinally as second blessing. I really don't like that term. and I would argue that it's not biblical. You know what? There's two million blessings and it just keeps going. There's not a first and a second and a third. It just keeps going. But we as our church, as a church of Christ, we must ask, truly ask to be filled, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. As a young believer, I didn't know any better. I had a little booklet that taught me about the Holy Spirit. It actually was going through every verse on the Holy Spirit in the Bible, and it was about as pedestrian a thing as ever. It was uh, in some ways actually absolutely boring. There weren't these great illustrations. It just went through the Bible. Here's a verse. Here's what it says on the Holy Spirit. Here's another verse. Here's what it says on the Holy Spirit. Another verse. And I sat on the beaches of San Diego as a young man in his 20s, wanting to know Jesus. And I just give my life to the Lord. And I actually didn't have a Bible because I was a little displaced from at that moment from the group that had led me to Christ. And I only had this little book that they had given me. And so I, all I want to do is read that thing every day. And every day at the end of it, it would talk and it would say, ask the Holy Spirit to fill you. Okay. I'd ask the Holy Spirit to fill me. And then the next day, verse, here's what it means. Verse, that's what it means. Here's what the Holy Spirit's doing. Here's what the Holy Spirit's doing in the Bible, in the Bible, in the Bible. And then ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Do day two. Okay, fill me with the Holy Spirit. Day three, day four. There were like 60 chapters in this thing and I didn't have anything else and I didn't know any better. I thought this is what you do as a Christian. You wake up in the morning, you read this book on the Holy Spirit and then you ask to be filled and just go live your life and go do your day. And by, the, by some time in there, the Holy Spirit lands on me. And the difference is, is, is really in terms of the things that I tried to do. The Holy Spirit lands on me, and I go back to my peer group in college, and I begin to actually tell them. Normally, I'd be, unfortunately, terribly immoral with these guys and, and then doing many things that I'd be embarrassed to ever talk about publicly. And I, 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 sit, I sit there and go, hey, have, did you guys ever realize that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead? 
And they go, what? And they go, yeah. And so they go get all my fraternity brothers to sit in the chapter house. I don't know how many guys there are, 20, 30, 40. I'm not embellishing that number. And they go, listen to what Soto just said. He's talking about Jesus. They go, there's no way he's talking about Jesus. And I go, you know what? All I know, guys, is that Jesus Christ, he died on the cross, and he is resurrected from the dead on the third day, and that we are all supposed to be full of the Holy Spirit. And they just look at me and go, what? We're supposed to be full of the Holy Spirit? Yes, we're supposed to be full of the Holy Spirit. So then... You know, the whole experience doesn't let go well. It's not like everyone got, you know, saved or whatever. But then all of a sudden, I'm going down the street. And I lived on the beach, and I'm talking to a guy. And I just, it just comes to me. I just realized I should tell this guy about Jesus. And I think, well, that's very interesting because he doesn't know me. And that's an awkward subject matter sometimes. And so I walked up to that guy. I go, hey, do you know Jesus? Now, mind you, I already told you the little that I know. I don't know anything. And so I go, so literally I tell this guy on the beach of San Diego, I go, you know what? I just met Jesus Christ. It's awesome. You should find Jesus too. That's all I knew. I didn't know. I didn't know Trinity. I didn't know anything else. I didn't know inerrancy of the Bible. And the guy says, will you pray for me to have whatever you have? Okay, I don't know how to pray. And so I just, I don't know why I did this. This is, this is just the weirdness of your pastor trying to figure things out. But for some reason, I'm like this with them. I'm like reaching out. Like, like I, I don't know where I ever saw that. I mean, there's no, you know, there's no, there's no doctrine of that. That's, that's my own human weirdness interrupting all the beautiful things that God wants to do. And so I go, sure, I'll pray for you. Oh, mighty God. Do it. Did you get it? Did you get it? Okay, that's great. That's great. I'm going to go have a hot dog. I mean, you know, that's, that's all I knew. That's all I knew. What I'm telling you is that the Holy Spirit will come on you. That overflow must happen. And you request it. You request. And the Holy Spirit wants it. It's why Jesus went to the cross. It is his true, true mission. It's considered one of the secrets in the kingdom of why Christ came to the cross to die, take away that sin, and release the Holy Spirit upon everyone. In the Old Testament, it's very different. Holy Spirit came upon kings and, and prophets and judges, but that same power that the prophecy of Joel is now upon us to animate our lives, to glorify God, and to get us moving in this life. Another mistake people make related to this. And I'm not naming like false teachers or any of that. I don't even want to go there. But there are people that teach that the Holy Spirit will solve all of your problems. Everybody say no. The Holy Spirit will not solve all of your problems. You know why? The Holy Spirit is going to come upon you and give you power to overcome all of your problems. That is to God's glory. It is not a parting of the Red Sea. It is a moving through the Red Sea. It is not necessarily a moving of the mountain. It's going over the mountain. In, in other words, there's a supernatural power to actually get you to overcome whatever that barrier and obstacle is because it is God's will for you to overcome that because it actually brings Him glory. And it will bring you happiness. And you'll see the testimony of God, your Savior, holding you tighter and tighter and closer and closer. 
There's an author, not many Christians know about this guy. You'd have to really be into church history and be a deep reader to know about a guy named, by the name of J. Edwin Orr. J. Edwin Orr um, died somewhere in the 90s. He was a historian, and he, he was really the first person to go around in Europe mainly, but then in the latter part of his life, when transportation got better after World War II, going around the world to really chronicle what happened and what were called revivals. He wanted to know. And so he wrote a book called Full Surrender. And so he went to this area, for example, the Welsh revival, the Wales revival. This is just after the, uh, really right around World War I, just a little before that. In Wales, what happened is there was a guy by the name of Evan Roberts and a handful of others, not many, frankly, and they were praying. They weren't necessarily praying for revival. They were praying over their own lives that we have to fall before God and that we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Will the Holy Spirit please fill us? They weren't judging anybody. They weren't looking for anything else. They weren't even in great intercession for their country, which is in terrible trouble. They were saying about me, my, my, myself as a follower, I must fall before Christ. I must be filled with the Holy Spirit. I must be changed and transformed supernaturally from the inside out. And they stuck with it. And supernaturally, the Holy Spirit came and did this and landed upon them. And all of Wales, what happens is this revival begins so dominant and so powerful. I mean, there are people literally on the corner. This is, this is the Welsh revival preaching. People on the corner and saying, hey, everybody needs to be saved. Stop what you're doing. And people would get saved. The jails got emptied out. This made front page news. Uh, it lasted for a number of years. Nobody knew about it until J. Edwin Orr chronicled it. And J. Edwin Orr went around the world and began to find what are the commonalities of people who get filled with the Holy Spirit? What are the commonalities of people who are baptized with the Holy Spirit? And he came up with a series of, I'm only going to give you the first one right now, and it's his phrase, the title of his book, Full Surrender. Remember, it's called the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit's asking you a question. Do you want to stop messing around with God and leave a supernatural life? He wants to know, do you want to surrender your life? You don't need to be perfect. You just need to be laying before him. You need to be in that place where you're willing to say, Fill me, Holy Spirit, and I will go wherever you want me to go. I will do whatever you want me to do. I will say whatever you want me to say. I will be whatever you want me to be. To your praise and to your glory. That's what the Holy Spirit is hungry for. Hungry for. That's the Holy Spirit's looking to baptize and fill those people who are willing to say, okay, I don't care about my age, education, bank account, social status, acceptance among men. I'm so desperate for the kingdom of God. Then fill me and baptize me. I give you, Jesus, as best as I understand, a full and total surrender so that your spirit will fill me, baptize me, move through me, and use me as whatever kind of vessel you want in this lifetime right now. That was the number one thing he found when he went to Africa and looked at tribes that never knew where 20,000 people got saved. 
what he saw amongst Europe when he saw that an entire nation like the Welsh Revival, where they dumped out literally every single prison and jail because no one was of that ilk. And on and on it went. And so church, how about you? Are you that hungry for Jesus? Are you willing to actually say that? I'll be, go, do whatever he says, however, if he will fill me. My initial salvation story is that God actually audibly called me a hypocrite. How's that? I'm in a large group meeting and God calls me a hypocrite. And it was the right thing to say, because I was. Everyone would empty out of that auditorium, and I would go and I would sit on a platform, and I would cry, and I would say, God, I am actually a hypocrite. I, I can do the outside phony thing, and I can have a certain kind of talk, and I seem to be blessed with you with a certain kind of social skill that I can actually put the facade up for a while, and, and for a while. But inside, I'm dying and I'm dead. And I will always be a hypocrite unless you change me. And I can remember praying, God, I will actually resist the answer to this prayer. I'm asking you to stop me from being a hypocrite and I will actually resist the answer to that prayer. That's how deep a hypocrite I am. That's how big a rebel I am. But if you will actually somehow bring your son into my life and forgive me of my sin and baptize me with the spirit, then I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll leave whatever you want. I'll go wherever you want. I'll say whatever you want. I'll be whoever you want because there is no other life. You have to so save me and fill me now. The the reality of this is that it, it orients very similar to salvation in that you make a public declaration. You say publicly, I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You come and you ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You allow people to pray for you. And what you're saying is, this is a full surrender of my life. I, I, I'm going to surrender my life to Christ and whatever he wants it to be because I know that the kingdom of God is beautiful. I know that God, his directions are best. I know that he truly loves me, that his love is without fail, and that he actually wants to anchor my life in a north direction with him so that I can experience all of him and he can have all of me so I can be a blessed life. And so church, I'm asking you right now, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite you to come forward and pray with me to actually be filled with the Holy Spirit and to have your life anchored in this way in terms of a full surrender. I'm going to ask you to do it by faith. I don't know experientially anything that's going to happen or what's going to happen, but I know that God will do it if you give him a full surrender. So pray with me, church. Lord Jesus, I pray right now that you would come by the power of the Holy Spirit upon our lives and that we would operate as a full surrender unto you. I pray that you'd speak to your church, Lord God, that you'd really move inside us with your love, with your love, with your love, God, and that your truth would be abiding strongly inside us. I pray that there'd be a supernatural and sweet grace in us this day, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Rick Soto Podcast. For more information about Pastor Rick Soto and the Ranch Church, go to ranchchurch.com.